0: hey guys and welcome to the family business in Dava
1: podcast we are the voice of african family business promoting generational wealth and generational legacies
0: and my name is susan tendi
1: and i am Niker Anani.
0: and we're going to be taking you through the journey of african family business everyone and welcome to this session of african women and family business conference and i am so honored to have you join us for this session and in this session we have reiki Krins, and she is just a phenomenal phenomenal lady and she has done so much amazing work that i have a lot of respect for and i will allow reiki to take the floor and share with us her journey in ESG, what ESG is and her experiences and hopefully um, some other ladies out there can learn from her experiences and be able to build something as phenomenal. Thank you and welcome Reiki.
2: Thank you Tsitsi, thank you for having me. Um, I'm very honoured to share with you my the journey that I've done. Um, um, you know, I will start To explain how I came into doing this project I've done in Bhutan as a first project of ESG, Uh, it's very much an example of what you can do in all communities all over the world because nowadays most communities face the same issues which is youth unemployment which is um, you know to, to create a, su- a truly sustainable um, entity a business entity and um, uh, and and you know that is what what uh, what i've done um, in a sense so i will start from the beginning and share with you a little bit of my past i have been you know i'm an anthropologist uh, which is uh, the study of of culture of non western uh, cultures uh, i was specialized on the kingdom of bhutan which is a very remote still remote kingdom in the Himalayas uh, it's Tibetan Buddhism and I lived in 1990 in a remote village for half a year where uh, comparable to the middle East times there was no electricity there was no running water no indoor plumbing it was truly um um, a community that was 100% self-subsistence and uh, that was an incredible experience for me that I can see how people live with nature uh, respect nature and uh, although Bhutan is officially a Buddhist country, there's people in the village that were mainly shamanistic which means uh, they respected the spirits in the earth, in the sky, uh, in the trees, in the water and that is basically what really um, made me to do this project. Uh, In 1990, uh, in Bhutan, there was hardly use of money. People had bartha. But after that, uh, they sent the kids, uh, they started to send the kids to school. And with that, um, the community and the whole country changed a lot. It became uh, a money center country. Uh, the children uh, didn't want to stay in the remote villages. They went to the capital. They were looking for jobs, but there were no jobs. I mean, it was uh, it's a country, Bhutan, like it's landlocked, only 700,000 people and one of the smallest economies in the world. So after, you know, after 1919, I started to do a guiding. I guided uh, people, high-end tours in Zimbabwe, Botswana, in India, in the Himalayas. And this is where I learned about the tourist sector. So, and what hospitality and the tourist sector can do for a community. Keep in mind that um, still today, um, the tourist sector and hospitality and small scale agricultural uh, uh, activities are the biggest employers in the world. So, but at, at that time I didn't know it. So when I was doing my, my traveling and guiding, I stayed in a lot of uh, hotels and I could see uh, that certain hotels are much nicer to stay in than other ones. And that especially the um, uh, the cultural authentic hotels. So the hotels who keep their, uh, the culture of the country or the place where they in when they celebrate that culture and show it to the guests who stay there that that was the the best hotels play, basically to stay in so while I was um, traveling then in Bhutan you know to give you an example in 1990 there was no hospital in the country there was no radio no TV no nothing you know it was just a very sleepy medieval um, country after two thousand the year two thousand it started up uh, to open up for um, tourism because uh, the only source of revenue was hydroelectricity, which is not from the mountain streams that does that that do, doesn't provide a lot of jobs so tourism was the second uh, largest um, um, sector that brought in revenue for the country and Bhutan started with um, um a developed a uh, concept for tourism which means high value low volume. So they didn't want to have the backpackers and the, uh, the ones who don't spend enough money in the country. So they came up with a, uh, a system it's called a controlled tourism which means that every tourist who would come to the country has to pay a minimum of 250 dollars a day. From the $250 a day, $65 goes to the government and the rest of the money is used to pay for the hotel, for the restaurant, and for the the, uh, guide, and the transfer. Um, So that means that, yeah, people expect a certain level of service, which was not there because Bhutan had no clue how to develop the hospitality sector. So a lot of little families started with their own bed and breakfast on small hotels, but they didn't know what to do. The The rooms were crappy, the food was bad, it was the hygiene was bad. So while I was traveling the country, and, and Bhutan is... Um, you know, an example of sustainable development. They have a lot of national parks. They don't cut the trees, so it's a very aware of keeping their cultural heritage, but also the natural heritage. So while I was traveling in the country, I saw that um, that they need actually a hotel school because first of all, there was a lot of uh, unemployment. Um, more than 50% of the population was under 25 years. I think it's a lot, maybe comparable to many African countries. And then next to that, um, there was no quality hospitality. So uh, this was in 2009 when I started this project. and. First, I wanted to set up the, the hotel and hotel school as a for profit, but uh, after 2009, because of the really severe crisis in the financial sector, it was almost impossible to get investment money. But uh, I got an, um, uh, an investor on board, but uh, he, he put in the seed money and he said, You know, why sh- shall we start with the hotel school? And I had an idea to rent an old hotel, fix the rooms up to three-star level and start with, um, with a hotel school. We started with uh, 40 students and uh, then uh, through my seed investor, who's based in Switzerland and I'm based in the Netherlands, I got in contact with a young man uh, in the Netherlands who was a hotelier and who set up uh, hotel schools um, in Um, Vietnam. And my partner, the seed investor, he got in contact with uh, alumni from the uh, Lausanne Hotel School. And uh, he had worked with somebody who developed curriculum for uh, small scale hotel schools. So we uh, hired both of those young men, and they started to develop the curriculum. And uh, so we, uh, and then uh, we started with the, um, the curriculum and uh, the renovation of the school, uh, of the hotel to make it into a school, but also into a hotel. You know, if, uh, it was a hybrid project. Uh, the students could train on real guests and um, the revenue of these guests could help Uh, the students, you know, because they were staying, uh, uh, they had boarding inside the hotel and that is also uh, very important if you set up uh, a project like this to have the kids stay for eight months uh, in the hotel and um, in the dorm where we guide them into uh, many other things than only the curriculum, like Uh, uh, life skills like hygiene like coming on time personal hygiene like coming on time and all these and these skills are even more important than the the learning for for the hotel school and what we taught the kids was food and beverage which is the restaurant of course then housekeeping cuisine uh, kitchen you know cooking and baking Um, we did barista and the bar Uh, making cocktails and all that. So uh, setting up this school, uh, we were, as much as possible, I wanted to include the Bhutanese culture into it. It was... um, Bhutan has a unique culture, like you guys uh, have the same in 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 africa and I mean all your countries you have your own identity and your own heritage and sadly enough many times people think that it, that it's not important or forget about it to include that. But this is a very important part to start with so that you celebrate uh, the culture of your own, you know, your own heritage, share that with tourists, because that's what why they want to come and want to learn, even if you look at um, uh, tourists from your own country. And uh, for example, you can do that with uh, food, you include your local dishes with international dishes, etc. So while setting up the school and opening up, um, we learned that this hotel school became like um, a cradle for development in the area. Now I have to say that our school was off the grid because in Bhutan you have hydroelectricity uh, electri- yeah el- electricity which is clean energy we had our own well and so basically it was a, a very sustainable uh, thing the only thing what which is still an issue is the water bottles which we because Bhutan doesn't have um, uh, at that time it was hard to supply the rooms with uh, you know with tap water because of hygiene um reasons but that was an issue I'd have you know looking apart from. So then uh, we sourced all our um, uh, like milk and butter and cheese from local farmers and even the produce of organic uh, vegetables and we started also our own garden and um, so let me see so, our school um, became well, the best school in the country. I mean, there was one, another uh, management hotel school, but a management hotel school doesn't create a lot of jobs because. Every hotel needs only one manager, but uh, every hotel needs a lot of staff to clean the rooms, to to serve in the in the restaurant, to do the bar. So it creates much much more jobs. And to uh, we wanted to set up the school as a social enterprise, you know, a for profit. But at that time it was not really possible because of all kinds of issues with investors and because Bhutan is a difficult country with if you have to you have to be working with the government and they had strict rules and we couldn't bend those rules so we kept on doing it as a non-for-profit so but um, uh, so I started to raise donations and because of it was such a success it was quite easy to raise the donations but uh, to give you an idea to how to finance this entity is one one uh, part of the school we, was, uh, we financed by donation, one third was we got support from the Ministry of Labour and a third was from the revenue of the hotel guests. So the school, as I said, became a big success. We had a dropout rate from z- less than 1%. Uh, all our, our students, they found jobs in Bhutan, in the existing hotels, or in India, where they uh, got in, uh, worked in five-star ho- hotels, or uh, students started a bakery or a little restaurant. because And we, we took in the poorest of the poor and marginalized youth. So this was really fantastic. Um, Let me see, where shall I start further, but I didn't, uh, oh yes, I want to show you a little uh, presentation. i do the share screen. Uh, Okay, yeah, this is uh, two students who are working in the bar, and... uh, This is the this is the, the old hotel it looks bo- beautiful but the rooms were really quite crappy and it is the website of the hotel school if you want to take a look it's uh but i think Siti uh, can um, can show it to you so i said it's a unique hybrid business model that provides real life learning experience for unemployed youth and guests to participate actively in sustainable economic development in a country. Okay, wait, let's do too, too quickly. So the main goals was train youth in three main operational sectors, already covered that, provide hotels with com, 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 competent human resources and create uh, service ex- excellence in the hotel industry. That is also we covered. uh, Then the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, what we tick the boxes is like quality education for people who never could have it uh, otherwise. Then because of that you reduce poverty. Uh, We focused on girls in the school so we had 60% girls and You know, a lesser uh, amount of uh, um, guys. But girls is a bit of an issue uh, in Bhutan because they have. Um, they don't marry in Bhutan when you fall in love with somebody you sleep with the person you consider to be married so the the yeah the result of that is that sometimes you have girls who have uh, who get pregnant and they drop out that's that's a, a thing that's a bit sad but we also have to address that into the education of the school So the result of that is decent work and economic well-being and then good health and well-being because you teach them also about health and food, you know, eating healthy, hygiene, which is a huge issue in Bhutan because food poisoning is a a very common thing and that's because of bad hygiene. Responsible consumption so that you learn the kids not to, you know, sugar and and all that, that you eat healthy again uh, and also uh, the plastic and all the things that we are facing today, then I will add myself, I've added cultural authenticity and then the preservation of local culture. So Bhutan is my biggest project uh, because that was up and running. I've worked for months um, almost like a half a year in Myanmar in with the refugees in Karen State uh, to set up a hotel school there. Uh, I've done it. We've done it in Thailand, uh, in India, in Bodhgaya. Uh I was part of a team in Albania to uh, to do that in uh, Italy. It was asked, and then hopefully Africa now. Uh, let me see. Uh, stop share. Okay. Uh, let me say. Uh, I think I covered. Uh... Oh yes. And how we set it up. The school. The most effective way is train the trainer. So you go into um, a place, uh, you look for people who have experience, you train them so they can become the teachers. And that is a quite inexpensive way of and sustainable way to set up this uh, entity. And as I said before, um, because you connect the whole community towards the project, um, everybody benefits, and it's a it's a proven model that works. You know, even if the inner city, Birmingham, New York, uh, you name it, or in the rural settings, it's um, yeah. As I said, it, it's it's a model that uh, has proven
0: that
2: uh, yeah that it worked quite well. Let me see. I think I uh, covered it all. If you have any questions, be, please go ahead.
1: Thank you you so much, um, Dr. Reiki. That was really insightful. Um, We have a question from Robert. How much investment is needed to set up a school in Africa? You know, you first have to do a
2: scoping study. And uh, we did uh, many scoping studies in the countries that I named before. And uh, that's about... Uh, to prepare everything, uh, uh, to identify the place, the hotel, to make a budget, how much it would cost to do the renovations, all that, uh, it's about uh, 200,000 U.S. dollars.
0: And looking at your experience and and your journey and being a woman in, in this space, how difficult was it for you to secure funding and also to even um, gain confidence from investors to invest in your project, given that it was it a, a for-profit or was it non-profit?
2: Yes, I started with uh, as a for-profit because we wanted to build a separate eco-lodge um, uh, connected to the school as a 100% for-profit uh. uh Uh, project but as I said I started in 2009 and uh, to get money for a frontier market we only needed about uh, three million two and a half to three million and it was almost impossible to uh, to find that money because uh, it's a frontier market we were a startup and at that time everybody was only focused on their own countries they were not interested if I would start like five years later what would have been much easier or six years later But that was uh, almost impossible. And uh, because I had the seed investor who said, who put in the money for the hotel school, the first uh, 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 amount, uh, with that, we could, uh, I could I set up the foundation. That was the Learning Exchange Foundation and through the foundation, I started fundraising. And because you can show these are the students, these this building, this is what we're going to do. I, and I didn't pay myself at the beginning. So I have to say that all the money went into the, the project. And uh, so uh, with all our network, I could secure enough money to keep the school running. So it was much easier to, in the end to get donations than to get investment money because investment under 10 million uh, to find it in those days was very hard because investors like to, to put large amounts in it because the due diligence is expensive. And they said, oh, I don't want to bother with a small project. So if you need, you know, if you go and Bhutan was not uh, suitable for the development organizations, or, you know, all these, um, uh, you have all these uh, development banks who support countries at that time, everybody was focusing on Africa, nobody, nobody wanted to invest in Asia. So that was hard. And locally, you, you cannot find, you know, normally, if you have a local investor, that would bring in more investors. But that was also not possible with Bhutan because they don't have that kind of money over there. So uh, so that's what I face. It. And as a non-for-profit, it was easier. But we wanted to uh, change the school into a social enterprise and a for-profit with a scholarship set up for the students who couldn't afford the yearly fees.
1: Um, I had a question and that's really about women and um, sustainable projects and ESG. What, what, what do you see the role in this space being um, and why do you see lots of women being attracted to this space?
2: Yes, I think that uh, because we women, we, I think we have, first of all, much more empathy uh, towards um, uh, an understanding of, you know, I have to say that because I spent so much time in Asia, that, and, uh, that I really, um, and I knew where these kids come from, in the sense that I wanted to do something, to, to help them to get a better future. And uh, doing the project and working with, in the financial sector, getting you know, in contact with investors, and then I saw that there's a massive discrimination towards women. And um, I had my seed investor who used to be a banker, and there was such a difference when I went to, for example, in Bhutan to the Foreign Direct Investment Office, when I went with my partner uh, it immediately, uh, the energy in the room was different than when I came in. And uh, they they always talked to the man, they never looked at me, and then I saw, oh my god, that is really, it's still a huge um, discrimination towards women. But on the other hand, with the finance, we women are much better with finance, we are much careful, we much know, better know where to put money, where not. So yeah, that it, it, it is, there's still issues there. And uh, yeah, that I experienced that myself. But I think that change is changing fast. You know, that is still more like we are, like Robert and me, we are in the in the um, uh, sustainable finance world. And as you know, all the pioneers and the leading uh, figures are women and also the women who started it. So they're much more, um, yeah, more visionary, let me say.
0: Then another question is, who is an ideal investor for ESG projects? Is it a DFI, a family office or a VC?
2: I would like to do the family office because you have a connect first of all it's a family and uh um you have a better uh, connection with the people. I mean, I I know several family offices, we became friends with them. So they much better understand. But VCs, then you have to work, again, often with men who are very arrogant. Excuse me that I've been so blunt, but I think you guys want to hear this. They often are very arrogant and uh, they know all better, although they don't know it. And uh, so you have to deal with all that issue, ego and all that stuff. And I think family office in general, they're much more down to earth. And uh, the development organization, they have their own agendas. So they're very bureaucratic and you have to take all kinds of boxes and you spend a lot of time in, in, in paperwork and administrations and all that. And they have, of course, their goals. And you have to comply and do their goals, although they are not... Uh, They don't know what they're doing. To give you an example, which made me furious. Uh, I was in Karen State in Myanmar. I was setting up this hotel school for the Karen people there and then I, and these people are refugees, they're for 50 years, they're in horrible camps and uh, they cannot go anywhere. Then I heard that um, uh, uh, George Soros Foundation, they specially uh, put um, uh, uh, money for refugees, uh, tackling issues with refugees, creating jobs, etc. So I had a conversation with a lady from the Soros Foundation uh, who are now, they were set in Myanmar mind you and I said yeah I'm, I'm working on this project we're going to help a lot of ref- young refugees we train them uh, for the tourist sector it's a growing uh, industry in Myanmar and then she said yeah but you are in Miyawadi which is on the border with Thailand in the east of uh, I said yes that's Karen state so uh, of course I'm, I'm working for the Karen people and she said uh, yeah but uh, our team is in the capital so we cannot do that they are only in the capital He said yeah but refugees are not in the capital and especially in the case with myanmar they're all on the border with thailand china etc i say what is this for nonsense this is how it works you know then then these foundations or they have set their um, place and then when you're not exactly in that space you can forget it and yeah it doesn't make sense at all so i hope this is an answer to the question oh
1: sorry i think it's my go. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, for those that you know might be here today that don't necessarily have a sustainable project ESG but are interested in starting one um, what tips do you have for them what steps can they take
2: people who want to start an, an ESG pro- in investment yes
1: or even develop a project
2: yeah did ev- anybody who joined this uh, webinar uh, did they ask my did they get money from a DFI? I would like to hear their experiences in a way if that's possible. But
1: uh... yeah, if anyone um, that's participating today has any experience with DFIs and you like to share, just raise your hand and then we can allow you to come on, just audio and just share. Um...
2: Can you please repeat your last question? The question
1: was for, um, you know, the following on from our previous question on oh, yeah, who you'd to, like to work with about family offices and things. Yeah, um, no, there may start. be people in the audience that don't necessarily have, um, are not necessarily involved in sustainable ESG projects, but may be interested in starting. Um, what tips do you have for them? What steps can they take to do so? Oh, uh, yeah. Th- th- uh,
2: um, actually, it's quite easy in this in a sense. Um, first, you look if it's needed what you're doing, and if it's really needed, and if it creates jobs, uh, then if it's uh, if you don't uh, destroy the local uh, environment, you know, in, in, in water, air, or 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 whatever, you know, you you you, you can see if there's. Uh, all in line with, with renewable energies that you use. Uh, uh, there is so much knowledge and, and, and ways there to, to, to build, you know, to do green building, through green buildings. Then um, uh, you pay your staff decent wages because, oh yeah, that's also something uh, if you pay decent wages to your staff, you, you support the families, you support the community. It really trickles. It's like a you know like like put your water your hand in a water and it gives all these this uh, it goes spreads out. That's what it's doing. So in, in the end, it's all for the benefit of, of everybody and especially of yourself. I mean with slash and burn and, 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 and abuse, you don't get far. I mean, you get, you get maybe for a few years of, but in the end, you know, what's the point of it? You know, money is money and, 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 uh, you can be much be better with yourself and your children. If you say, this is what I've done. I, you know, I created a good business for myself, but it also helped a lot of other people. So that's uh, something you have to concern yourself with. And, and, um, uh see what it's beneficial and um yeah and you still can make money that's really um basically no issue And that's also what I wanted to say um, for like the hotel school, what we've done in in Bhutan and and in other places, you know, if you would invest a a bit in it and you can really create a top-notch school like the Lausanne Hotel School or the The Hague for the region where it is. And even in Asia with all the high-developed countries like Singapore or China or or Thailand, there is not one... uh, um, a hotel school that is, uh, you know, that gives a kind of quality that could be used for the whole region, and there is still an, an opportunity there, and for Africa, absolutely the same as, as for for South America, etc. You know, l- like the Hague and 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 Lausanne are the best schools in Europe. I mean, almost like in the world, and in America, it's Cornell.
0: Thank you, Reiki. Um- the other question I have in the inbox is, how can family offices couple philanthropy with their ESG investing?
2: How can family
0: offices couple philanthropy with their ESG investing? Uh,
2: you can start with uh, philanthropy and then change into social enterprise and make it a for-profit uh uh, entity and uh, because with with the, with, the, uh, with philanthropy you can start with building it up and uh, because you have don't have to deal with due diligence and all that and and then later if the project is doing well you can build it up as a uh, get investments in and and build it up uh, as a full-fledged, for-profit uh, project. I mean, I'm talking about small-scale projects. I have no clue about setting up a bank or, or a, a, um, you know, like a shopping mall or, or big things. I, I, I'm talking very small, small projects. And, and I also want to add um, what I didn't cover uh, uh, before in my presentation was that um, you know, as, a, as a, if you start a little hotel or hotel school, you can also be the promoter of the local arts and crafts by supporting these people who make it because you buy the, uh, the, the, the textiles that they make and, and the art and put it in your hotel, you sell it and, and you know, revive it and, and, and have students come, you know, anthropology students. Who do research and write about it, uh, uh, even with cooking. You know, you 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 invite you know all people who know all dishes that they could revive. So you can make a whole uh, community activity, which is of course fantastic.
1: Awesome! Thank you so much, um, Dr. Um, Ricky for joining us. I say Ricky. <laughs> <laughs> ricky, this morning on this very important topic of gender and sustainability. Should anyone want to reach you, get hold of you, how best can they get in contact with you?
2: Oh, through my email, ricky at tbli.org, or my phone, it's uh, oh, uh, 31 for the Netherlands, uh, 6213. Uh, uh, no, 213 97 838. Ricky yeah. is, uh, you spell it wrong. It's R I E. So R-I-E. Yes. K-I. Not Ricky,
1: but Ricky. <laughs> Ricky. Yeah. I apologize.
2: No problem. And many people do that. Yes, that's correct.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. so thank you so much everyone um our next session today for those that are um um guests on today's um afternoon will be at 3 p.m harare johannesburg time which is 2 p.m lagos time a discussion with miss nance so we encourage you to come and join that session thank you all for joining once again
2: thank you Bye-bye.